0: She's got a lot of- Now, are we back? Okay, we're back. We're back. We're back. I don't know what this means. Oh my God. Sorry. No fun. The Jen Kirkman podcast, episode 372, coming out on January 27th. That is for the free audio version, which is what you were listening to. But if you were a subscriber to my Patreon, you would get the video version and you would have received this episode, video version early, you would have received it over last weekend with, I've already been talking on the video version for about 15 minutes, you get a little extra material. And I was doing a rant about ageism and why my fans are so stupid and don't get what I'm saying when I talk about it. Is this a way to start a podcast? Anyone listening is not one of the stupid people. I'm really serious. I can't even tell you how different... uh, A performer's life is in terms of who listens to their podcast, who goes to their shows, and who just follows them on the internet. Oh boy, is there a difference. It's like the difference between your twin brother and your, you know, second cousin Jimmy, who's like, duh. Okay, listen, and no offense to anyone's second cousin Jimmy. This is No Fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast. What is this podcast if you're new? And I have a feeling that some of you are Because I have been promoting this a lot Well, listen, I am Jen Kirkman I have two comedy specials streaming on Netflix right now I'm going to die alone and I feel fine And just keep living I'm also an author I've written two books One of them is about not wanting kids One of them is about turning 40, traveling All kinds of sexy stories there But this podcast is not a well-edited book It's not a comedy special that I've honed by traveling around The country and the world perfecting jokes. This is where I come to talk off of the top of my head about what's on my mind any given week, about any given topic, whether it's in my head, in the world, or whatnot. It's not joke per minute. It's sometimes funny, but sometimes it's serious, but it's always honest and real. Now, again, this is normally where I would promote my tour dates, but I am not going to be on tour in 2021. I have replaced my tour income with Patreon. That is what I feel like doing this year. I'm still not 100% with this uh, COVID and the traveling and the thing, and uh, I don't feel like it. So if you want to see me and support me and feel like you're watching a comedy special or just look at me sitting in my home, Join the Patreon. Five bucks a month is the cheapest one and that gets you four videos, a bonus every month and unreleased stand-up from over the past years. I've released a few sets on there. And so there you go. Patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. That is the only way to literally put money in my pocket if that is something that you are interested in doing. We can talk a little bit more later about how you can buy one of my albums as well. Well, I'll just tell you right now, as long as we're plugging and then we'll just relax and have a conversation, right? But you can also buy my comedy album, Just Keep Living." Now, that is also the name of my special that's on Netflix. It's the same thing, but the uh, audio version album, digital, that's what I'm trying to say, the digital audio album version has 20 minutes extra of bonus material where I take you inside the joke and tell you what jokes in that special were exaggerated, what were based on real things, and where they came from. And by buying that album, you are supporting not only me, but independent comedy label A Special Thing Records. And that money goes right in our pockets. So I would love, I would love for you all if you want to purchase that. And the way that you can buy that is by going to astrecords.com. And then you can just look for Just Keep Living. But I also will put it in the show notes as well. Does that sound good to you? And you can also buy my album, I'm Gonna Die Alone, and I Feel Fine as well on Amazon Music. Now, I'm also going to tell you that I am part of the Misfit Toys Comedy Collective of podcasts started by the great Matt Belknap and Jimmy Pardo of Never Not Funny. In the show notes, you can see... A link and go visit all of the great podcasts In the network, including Doug Loves Movies Mike Schmidt's The 40-Year-Old Boy As I said again, Never Not Funny The Todd Glass Show And I will put links to episodes of those shows That I have been on and you can enjoy them And right now, let's hear a little something From Doug Benson himself Hey everybody, Doug Benson here Host of the long-running podcast Doug Loves Movies If you love movies If you love comedy if you love breathing, if you love lunch, if you love just about anything, I think you'll love Doug Lowe's Movies. Check it out wherever you get podcasts. Doug movies. All right, everybody, what are we going to talk about on the podcast this week? I don't know. I'm having issues with online. I made a I, like I made a funny video about a duvet cover and nobody got it. It really bummed me out. I had an amazing customer service call with this guy, Adrian, who now I'm obsessed with him and I need to know his life. Chappelle has COVID. Who could see that coming? Not me. Oh, wait. Totally me. Why I am so mad at ayahuasca? And why I feel so vindicated by this uh, special I saw on it on Netflix called Unwell. Although I know I'm being... We'll talk. Working from bed. Is anyone doing that? There's an article in the New York Times about that. And just some other random things going on. You know, and uh, listener emails about all kinds of things people really clued in, keyed in. These are not heartfelt words, but people really tuned in. Nope, not that either. <laughs> people really related to the thoughts I had on grief last week and people are sharing their grief stories. So I will read those as well. I guess before we get into everything, I got to get this off my chest, pun not intended. My heart is being weird. Now everybody's going to get on their keyboard and start giving advice. Don't you dare be those one of those people. You think someone whose heart's acting weird is going to be like, you know what? I'm going to find out no information about this and just talk about it on a podcast. (laughs) I mean, and hope people email me. No. I'm seeing a cardiologist on Monday. By the time this comes out, I will have seen said cardiologist. Now, I've had a weird heartbeat on and off throughout this pandemic. You could say, Jen, maybe it's anxiety. And I would say, I assume everything's anxiety. And that's I'm sort of the opposite that way. The opposite of a hypochondriac. I let things go because I'm like, it's anxiety. And then I go, you know what? It's not getting better. It comes and goes. But my resting heart rate is high as fuck. And I've had this before, years ago, just at my regular physical, I went to. And for some reason they're like, for 30 bucks, want to throw in an EKG today? And I was like, okay. Sounds fun. And they're like, your heart rate's really high. And I said, oh, yeah, I guess I've noticed that. And they're like, you know what? Some people run fast, not literally running, but some people are just fast heart beaters. Okay. And there's a thing called tachycardia and it's not going to kill you. You take a pill, it regulates your heartbeat. My doctor was like, let's do another one of these next time you come in. So we did. It was back to normal. Now, in the past, certain antidepressants I've taken have made my heart rate go up, such as a Welbutrin. I'm on one now, and I think that is the culprit. I'm not on Welbutrin, but it's something called Pristique, one of the side effects. But it's, it's, you know, they're trying to tell me I'm going to have nausea and uh, bad dreams and insomnia and diarrhea. I don't have any of that. Not to brag, but I just have this rapid heart rate. Otherwise, the medication does quite well for me. Now, if this rapid heart rate keeps up, I don't know if the benefit analysis of staying on it and not being depressed is worth it because I'm kind of thinking about it all the time and it makes me tired. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I figured uh, go see the cardiologist And hopefully they won't be, uh, you know, it's in your head. I. That's why I'm excited to be like, I've had this before the pandemic. So that people are like, it's probably the pandemic. I mean, listen, I'm sure that's part of it too, but. So, you know, when something's the reason I'm telling you all this is, you know, when something's on your mind, that's on my mind, that's in the back of my mind as I'm telling everything I'm telling. And I'm drinking decaf. I mean, I'm trying to make sure I am, you know, I'm taking the magnesium. I'm making sure I get calcium. I'm doing the meditations and the breathing and the this vitamin and that. I'm reading all the things. Decaf now, so that I can just say to the doctor, here's what I've done. It's still not, you know, it's not always at 115. Sometimes it bounces around a lot. Just from me sitting and watching Emily in Paris. Now, I don't know if that show is causing me to have to go through so many emotions. But I'm just saying the resting heart rate is being strange. And you go, Jen, how do you know? Because I have one of those oximeters. Again, I still don't know how to say it. Oximeter oximeter, as I always joke, Caribbean, Caribbean. And I bought two of them. And they both are giving me the same result. But by the way, I need to say something about Emily in Paris. It is a way better show than Twitter made it seem. And Queen's Gambit is a way worse show than Twitter made it seem don't yell at me. I tweeted that, had to delete it. It was causing too much controversy. I'm, again, reading and listening comprehension. I didn't say one is better than the other. I said, then Twitter made it seem. Everyone was writing, Emily in Paris, it's so stupid. Oh my God, I can't believe the dialogue. Blah, 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 blah. And then I watched it and I said, well, I don't even think the dialogue's that bad, but it's campy. I mean, does anyone not understand tone anymore? It's supposed to be like that. It's a half-hour comedy. It's... What? I, I. It's not supposed to be serious. I thought it was this show that was supposed to be serious and people were making fun of it because it was so silly, but it's a campy comedy. It's not a, you know, it, it's not a transparent, you know, where it's this sort of um, dramedy where it's very real. And it's surface camp. I don't understand the problem here. And I enjoy the Paris porn, I guess you could call it the just getting to look at Paris all day long and look at cafes and look at I mean, it's great. And I appreciate that this girl, this Emily is a young woman. Who's great at her job She's very smart She's got great ideas You know, it's always tough When TV shows Try to talk about social media And trending and Instagram It it sometimes comes off Like It's weird Because everybody If you've ever been in a writer's room As I have All you see are a bunch of people Looking at their phones And trying to pretend They're not looking at their phones And everyone's on the internet All the time And so Sometimes when I watch shows where people talk about the internet it seems like people who've never used it are writing it. I think that only really happens in Hallmark Christmas movies and I really think that's because you ha- I think you have to pay to actually say Instagram and say Twitter so you have to make up these words and those are like Hallmark is geared more towards older people not that older people are stupid but that the uh you know, the demographic might be people who don't use Instagram or whatever. Anyway, whatever, it doesn't give me those tech douche chills where I'm like, oh, God, this is not what being on Instagram at all is like. And then again, for those younger people who are influencers, you might think, no, 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 it does do that. You just don't know because you're not a 20-year-old influencer. So I don't know. Listen, it's on in the background as I'm returning emails. And I'm I'm thinking this this show is perfectly adorable. It's putting me in a good mood. I enjoy, I don't care if it's a stereotype or not. I enjoy the French people taking two-hour lunches. I enjoy the French people telling this American to stop talking about work at dinner. I enjoy what I would love to believe is truly how French people are. And of course, uh, I've been to France and It did seem like that, but you know, I can't judge based on my two trips and Emily in Paris, but I'm saying I enjoy the fantasy. So it's a lot better than I thought it would be based on people's tweets. Then Queen's Gambit, I'm thinking, ah, here we go. Settling into a really good show because everyone on Twitter is talking about it as if their life depends on it, as if they are being forced at gunpoint by some kind of dictator and being paid to write about how amazing the show is And I'm going to be honest That's usually what someone says Before they say something racist But that, don't worry I'm going to be honest I didn't connect with that show Do I think it's When I watch TV I don't really As a TV writer It's weird that I do this But I I don't really look at it With a critical eye I'm I'm just I'm down for the ride. I do look at stand up with a critical eye. I can't enjoy stand up. So, most stand up I can't enjoy. So I just don't have that bone in my TV writer body where I mean, I notice when things are not to my liking, but a lot of times it isn't based on some kind of skill I have that I think has not been executed on the TV. I just think I don't like this. The same way I go, I don't like coconut shreds. I'm sorry, I like coconut water. Don't you dare put coconut shreds on anything on my food. My tongue will reject it. Sometimes my brain just rejects a show. My brain rejected Queen's Gambit. And you can write an essay about it in your college newspaper. And you can explain to me what it's about. It's not that I don't understand it. I don't like it. I didn't like the fashion. I thought it was frumpy. I didn't like the music. I thought it was uh, basic And I really didn't give a shit about anything that was happening. It did not transport me to another place. I did like the interior of the hotel rooms. Anyway, that's all that happened is I tweeted that and I felt I had to delete it. These are the controversies going on in my life. (laughs) <laughs> I'm really at a loving. Everyone is so happy That Donald Trump is off Twitter and And you know I am too I actually do notice a difference There's so much less attention Being given to his crazy ranting negativity. So, you know, most of my, I don't follow him on Twitter, but most of my Twitter feed, and I think most people don't. And I think a lot of people ironically followed him, but I think most people still went and checked what he tweeted that day so they could make their jokes. And everyone has to come up with their Trump jokes. And so my feed was always full of screenshots of his Twitter or quote tweets of his Twitter and people reacting. And it was like living in a house of, you know, people who are, all they did all day was focus on what drunk dad is doing. And it's like, eventually you guys have to get a life. But then you're like, no, you've got to monitor what drunk dad's doing so he doesn't, um, you know, get in the car and drive drunk to uh, the mine that he works in. But without Trump there, so it's given a lot of people a lot, you know, I don't have to see it anymore. And I know that it has... um, brought down disinformation by 70%, which, which I didn't actually think uh, that was a thing that would happen. So that's great. However, what still exists on Twitter are people who are trying to help a comedian who's making a joke about something. They, they miss the joke completely and are trying to offer help. And then when you're like, I'm kidding, they're like, then you're not good at your job. And you're like, okay, well, you might also be bad at being a person who reads, but that's fine because this problem didn't used to happen. But there's some kind of, there's it's not generational. It's a type of person now is using Twitter that didn't used you 10 years ago. And earnest Twitter is a thing that is killing us all. Um, comedians make dark jokes and it's the equivalent of someone in the audience going, ah, And you're like, oh my God. So I was uh, changing my duvet cover. Now, by the way, where I'm from, we called it a comforter. Where I'm from, Massachusetts, the 70s, we just had this bigger, heavier blanket on the bed that wasn't a quilt that was hand-sewn, and it wasn't a blanket. It was what's called a comforter. And you put it on top of the blanket, and then you mainly a quilt over that. And now, now, I don't see comforters so often for, maybe it was more of a twin bed thing. I don't know, because that's what I had growing up. But now we've got duvet. I, I know I sound like, I'm not trying to sound like one of those comedians who's like, what are the, these days you get tooth you gotta put the comforter inside a thing. And my day. Oh, by the way, rest in peace, Larry King. Let me talk about him in a second. Give you my hot take. So my duvet and my duvet cover are The bane of my existence. And listen, I'm not going to pretend like I didn't used to have a cleaning person come to my place before COVID. I know there's nothing wrong with that, but I want to get two things out of the way because I can already hear this is what it's like to be a performer now. You can already hear the criticisms. You rich bitch, you have a cleaning person. And then the other criticism is I can't believe you're not paying them during COVID you terrible monster. So, I will explain. I used a company that would send out different people every time, you know, within reason. It was a a rotation of different people. They are still employed by this company and I can see on my Venmo that everybody is still using them. It is not like I had a personal housekeeper and I went, sorry, Matilda, you can just not work for a year and So I don't feel any personal connection that I have to keep paying for that. But I don't want anyone coming in here during COVID and giving it to me or me giving it to them. And by the way, now I have time to clean my own place. Before I didn't because I was on tour, I would come home, last thing I want to do, or I'm working a 12 hour day writing job, And I would wash the sheets and I would wash the duvet cover and I would leave the clean sheets and duvet cover and duvet on the bed. That's just how it worked. That's a little above and beyond. I don't need people to wash my things for me. I can certainly throw things in a washing machine. I'm not the queen of England. But, uh, you know, two people would come and they'd handle the bed. And there was that day, you know, week into the pandemic where I went, oh God, I have to contend with my duvet cover. And I know there's how-to videos. I had a friend who stayed in my apartment when I was living in New York for uh, the job Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I was living in New York six months out of the year. And in 2018, I had a friend who was from another country. She came, she was from Australia. And she was having some money problems. And she decided she would rent out her apartment she was renting as an Airbnb. And I said, and you can live in my place while I'm not there for free. And just, I don't know, give it some energy and some love. Check my mail, whatever. And she would call me and be like, I'm changing the sheets, you know, or I'm doing the duvet cover. And I would go, oh, you know, let me hire the... She didn't want the cleaning people coming when she was there. She's like, I love cleaning. I'll do it. I was like, okay. And she's like, you don't know how to change a duvet cover. When you get back, I'm going to show you. So I came back. She gave me a lesson and she was laughing and also frustrated with me and saying, I I don't understand why you can't do this. Now, maybe it's because I'm short or my arm's not long enough. I can't do it. I see what you're doing. I know what I'm supposed to do. I understand that. It's the same way with painting or with... um cutting a straight line with scissors. I understand, but I can't do it. And I think it's funny. So I was changing the sheets and putting the stupid duvet cover, stupid duvet in the cover. And I thought, hey, here's some free content for people out there. I'll videotape myself doing it. So I made a video and I tried to say funny things while I was doing it Things that are relatable Like when there's a lump Or you're trying to shimmy it down Or you're trying to pull it down Or you're trying to find the corners You know, these everyday relatable fucking things When Seinfeld in the 80s said Where does the other sock go? Can you imagine if the audience went Well, actually, it's probably static clinging to the inside of some pants That you're not going to wear for a long time Shut up! That's that's what Twitter would do now, or an audience. They would actually answer. And you could do? You even know what, where you are? You're in a comedy club. You're on Twitter following a comedian. Why are you answering seriously? What, what, what this isn't uh, Pinterest, or I don't know what the other things are that women go on and exchange recipes. This isn't that. There's no more relating anymore. Everything has become, le- oh, let me sh- tell you how to do that. Yeah, bitch, we know how to do it. I know about YouTube tutorials. So I make the video and then I edit it down to a minute. And I thought the, the mere fact that I edited the fucking thing, that there's cuts, the cuts themselves are comedic. Now, I'm not saying this is some genius thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, but it was funny. I'm, I'm in the thing. I look like a ghost. I've got the thing over my head. I'm yelling at the corners. I'm looks like a woman. It's a, it's a video for the pandemic. Literally, literally not one person was like, ha ha, I relate. Everyone was like, the way to do it is actually, I said, well, that wouldn't, I just wrote back to every single person. Well, that wouldn't be a funny comedy video, would it? They actually thought I was making, I said, this is a tutorial on how to do a duvet cover. I hope it inspires everyone. It's sarcasm. Oh, everyone went, no, that's not how you do it. I go, oh my God, I know. Because I, I edited it. It. Oh, see, the editing tells you, she, she, she had a vision here, for the, a vision I'm saying, for a fucking video, a one minute long video of a duvet. My head's exploding. I can't. Ernest Twitter. Ernest Instagram. Maybe Instagram gets it. Worse, even worse over there. I don't know what, even why I did it. Then someone got mad. This woman got angry at me, and told me I was an elitist. I'm thinking, what? I'm in my own bedroom changing my own sheets. Please explain to me how this is elitist. And she said, I have too much time on my hands to, you know, making this video and changing the duvet cover in a silly way. I have too much time on my hands. I'm clearly not working like everyone else. I clearly have no job and I'm so rich. I'm like, you can see where I live. I'm not in a mansion. Also, I had 20 minutes on a Saturday. I go, I'm, it's a Saturday right now. I work seven days a week. If people are Losing their goddamn minds People have nowhere to put their anxiety And the problem is Is that they don't know that that's what that is That's anxiety This need to make an other Meanwhile, the richest comedians Like Whitney Cummings is on her Instagram Getting these paddles on her ass They're supposed to work out your ass And getting all these beauty treatments And her fans are like This is a great way to spend the pandemic and your money I love you, you're great I'm like, I've made a duvet cover video, and I'm elitist. I don't know what was happening. I don't know how I managed to attract all of the wrong people to my comedy. My little Jen, little 21-year-old Jen who started in comedy, who thought it was going to be simple, who thought you just do jokes, and people that like it like you, and they get you, and then you live your life and everything's great. Oh my God, I want to hug her and go, honey, no, that's not what happens. You do your jokes and then the internet comes along and then everybody doesn't know what jokes are. And then people um, tend to hate the wrong people. (laughs) And you'll be yelled at for making your own bed. The thing that that your mother always wanted you to do, (laughs) you'll be in trouble for it. I don't understand. Oh, I don't either, little Jen. I can't help you Jen from the future, you're scaring me I should scare you You might want to consider a different career That doesn't involve feedback from people Oh my god Whenever you go, comedians are so sensitive Yeah, our sensitivity was is the best thing about us It's what made us relatable to you It's what made us come up with those jokes But the other side of our sensitivity Trust me, it's not just that one person online did something It's that thousands did Oh, my God. Let's say rest in peace to Larry King, everybody. Oh, my goodness. You know, I was on one of his shows on a network that I don't even know if it... Like, I swear to God, it was called the Aura Network. Not Aura, like, I'm going to cleanse your aura, but O-R-A. I think it was just online. I'm not sure. I swear to God at a certain point, because Larry King had to be on camera to survive and it, he's just such a icon and such a staple of society that people were like once he wasn't on CNN anymore people were like just tell him it's on the aura network just put some cameras in front of him he'll come in the studio every day just tell him it's aired like I don't even think this aired. <laughs> I don't know what it is I mean I'm I'm do I have to say I'm kidding So I go to do it and I'm promoting my book. I can barely take care of myself, and it's about not wanting kids. If anyone wants to buy it, it's on Amazon. And, uh, you know, I'm there. I think, there, yeah, The think there's another comedian. I think my, it was Julian McCullough. I think it was. Anyway, but we're there. We're on the panel. We're talking to Larry. And, you know, he was really cool and chatting with me. And, uh, he doesn't seem very engaged when the cameras are on. You know, that was his style. He would act like he'd never, well, of course, he'd never heard of me, but he'd act like he'd never heard of someone. You know, there's a famous interview where he asked Johnny Cash if he writes his own songs. That was kind of his shtick and his style. So, anywho, we would break for commercial on this network that I'm not sure was real. <laughs> Yet, yeah, pretend there's commercials. <laughs> he would go, Do you know, Lenny Bruce? I go, well, yeah, yes, not personally. I love. I love Lenny Bruce. And he would say, "Ah, oh, yeah, he was great, you know. And then he would keep talking. You realize, oh, he knew Lenny Bruce. He wasn't just giving his opinion. You know, one time and they go, OK, we're back on air. And he kept trying to tell me the story about Lenny Bruce. And then we're back on air. and He's like, I don't want kids. No, I don't, Larry. And I'm desperate to go. Can we just cut the shit? Larry, everybody was was hung out with Lenny Bruce. I would like to know the story because anything I'm saying about how I don't want kids is not interesting. And then, you know, the camera cuts. And Larry was filming <clears throat> multiple episodes of this show, whatever it was, back to back. So cut. Okay, thanks, everyone, Jen. And they're taking the mic off you. And he's, you know, doing getting his notes put in front of him for the next interview. And he's like, so um, anyway, back to what I was saying. So this one night, you know what Lenny says to me? And someone's like, Larry, you got to go over here. and he, And he gets called away. And that's it. I never know what Lenny Bruce said to him. I never knew. So rest in peace, Larry King. He did have COVID, so I'm assuming he died of complications from that. He's a fucking badass guy, and he always dressed like a skater. He always had his Converse on and his uh, dickies-looking clothes in real life. If you ever saw him wandering around Beverly Hills, I I always thought, I thought Larry King was kind of a, you go, how do you have all those wives? Oh, I get it. A little sex appeal there, that Larry King. Uh, speaking of my book, I can barely take care of myself. My editor, who is no longer an editor Simon so & Schuster, Sarah Knight, one day was like, you know what? I got to live my life. I have opinions. I have good advice about things. And I'm going to quit my job as an editor and I'm going to write books. And she went on to write a bunch of best-selling self-help books, um, New York Times best-selling author of The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck and another book called Get Your Shit Together. They're really great advice books, but she has a new podcast coming out and it should be out right now. It's I think it came I think it debuted on January 26th. So I just want to tell you about my friend's podcast that I'm excited about for her and for us and for you. It's the No Fucks Given podcast with Sarah Knight. Again, New York Times bestselling author behind the books, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck and Get Your Shit Together. And now she's giving amazing, hilarious advice every Tuesday in 2021. Her no bullshit approach to self-help is great. She talks about stuff like motivation, mental health, gaining confidence, setting boundaries, saying no without being an asshole. Do yourself a favor, check out No Fucks Given with Sarah Knight and start living your best life. You can subscribe and listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so Dave Chappelle has COVID. I mean, what more can I say about it? I did a, a Patreon bonus episode where I ranted and raved about him and Joe Rogan doing those shows in Austin during the height of COVID in Austin when people are dying. And everyone said, but Jen, but Jen, everyone's wearing masks and they have to get tested and their social distance. And I went, bullshit. Here's why it's bullshit. Rapid testing doesn't always catch COVID unless you are symptomatic. So you can be asymptomatic and it will come out negative and you can be having it but it hasn't built up enough in your system yet and you can still be spreading it to everybody. So rapid testing, we have found out, is not, you can't rapid test your way out of giving, out of, you can't rapid test your way into safety. The other thing is, yes, they were selling tables and I had heard that you could not buy tickets to a table with a mixed household. Now, how the fuck they monitor that, I don't know. And what I'm thinking is they don't. Because I'm telling you, I'm in the business. My agent told me, you would not believe what these venues and comedy clubs are saying they're doing as opposed to what they're doing. Once people actually arrive, nobody has the fucking balls to actually enforce any rules. So everyone shows up with a mask on. I'm sure they get their temperature taken, rapid test, bing, 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 blah, blah, blah. And I just thought it was just kind of like, look, if we're going to have rapid testing, why not just... I don't know. It just seemed gross. It just seemed more like this is what rich people get to do while poor people die, or just anyone dies, or people that it it just, I don't like it. It's not my thing. And, you know, people were driving in. There's so many levels to this in a pandemic. You know, people were driving in from all over Texas. So, okay, so you're driving, you know, three hours to somewhere because I don't want anyone gathering in my name, is the point. So someone gets in a car accident on the way. Now they're going to a hospital. They can't be seen because it's overrun with COVID. You're just making more work for everyone. I just, it it, just, no. Just no. For one year, you can go without seeing live comedy. You can fucking do it. I do it for a living and I went one year without doing it. It just, it, it was so disappointing to me. And So anyway, I saw pictures of what was going on there at Stubbs Barbecue. There was no social distancing. I knew it. I I was watching it the whole time. I would would put the name of that place in Instagram and, and Twitter and I would look at pictures people posted and it would be just hundreds of people standing very close to the stage, no masks. This Once they're in there, no social distancing Because everyone thinks the rapid testing is safe So, you know, and Chappelle's running around All over Austin without a mask on I don't know what he's thinking He's a heavy smoker, I mean, I don't know He's not a stupid man, obviously And he gets COVID And uh, I'm just disgusted with everything And, you know every Comedians are still doing indoor shows If you go to any comedy club website A bunch of them are open January, February, March, oh, just a bunch. of And it's always the comedians that don't need the money. A lot of times it's the comedians that don't need the money. Hey, maybe I'm jealous. Maybe I'm jealous that I've realized this year I don't need that much attention. And maybe I feel like something's wrong with me. Am I not a real performer because I really don't want that much attention? I don't think so. I'm just trying to add a, um, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to do. But I don't have anything more to say about it. You know my stance on this shit. It sickens me. So there you go. Wish him well, but, you know, how many other people did he get sick? Is he going to take responsibility for it? Is he going to talk about it on a stand-up special? Or is he just going to do another special about how Louis's innocent? You know? Who fucking knows? Anyway, so I just want to give props to Adrian. I don't know where you are, Adrian. But I... Had an issue with my MacBook, and this computer is only two years old, and the memory was full. Like I had one gig left, and I went, I don't even do anything on this computer, and I didn't have podcasts on it, and this, and I know exactly how to manage the storage, and it just was this thing that said other. It said this is how many this you have, this is how many documents, this is how many pictures, and then it said other. Other was taking up two hundred gigs, so I call Apple Care. Talked to a nice person a month ago. And he's, you know, I didn't say, can I talk to your manager, by the way. I was talking with a woman who tried to help me. She's like, well, I took you through all the basics that I know. So I'm going to give you to a senior level manager. And I said, thank you. Then this guy gets on. He's like, listen, you know, he wasn't a dick. But he was like, he had me convinced that that there was nothing I could do. And he said, yeah, there's this weird thing. So whenever you download an app, you know, when we agree to something, and we hit agree, you know, well obviously that's the only option we have. We can hit agree and have the app, or we can not hit it and not have the app. But when what you're agreeing to is all this he called it bloated. You're you're agreeing to all this extra bloated stuff that they put on your computer. And I said, ah, huh, that it seems crazy though, because I don't have a ton of apps. I so now what? And he's like, yeah, it's just, and I said, every day it's getting more and more full and I'm not downloading more things. I'm, I'm deleting more things. And I said, I don't want to go to the store and get, I think Apple stores are to here in LA anyway. And he's like, yeah, you might just need to get a new computer. And I don't think he was trying to upsell me because then he was like, all right, peace out. Bye. Hope I helped you with your issue. So a couple of weeks later, I'm like, this thing's about to die on me you know, it's overheating and making noises. And I thought, this is stupid. It's not even two years old. And I thought, before I buy a new computer, let me call again. Called again. I did ask for a manager this time, but not in a Karen way. And I get this guy's like, hello, I'm Adrian. And he's like, I know, Adrian, Adrian. And he's doing some Rocky, the movie joke. And listen, I don't really know those movies, but I knew the reference. And he's like, (laughs) he's like, how's your day? And I'm like, oh, no, this energy you know? And then I just went, Jen, get into it. Get into his energy. Why would you? This guy is an Apple store employee. People, He's probably dealing with the dumbest people calling him, including you, or assholes. I don't know if he's at home, if he gets to work from home, if he has to sit in a room with other people. But let Adrian, I think he was from Texas, just just get into his energy. So I became corny as fuck. And I gave him access to my computer so he could see everything on the screen. And we went into my email and he went, oh, I think I see something. And he figured it out. I had some setting in my email turned on where it was archiving all this stuff. And he showed me how to delete it. And I watched it happen and I got all my memory back. And I, I don't remember what I said, but I was like, you've made me so happy. But this whole thing took about an hour. So I was on the phone for an hour with this guy talking about nothing. He just kept making his puns and his jokes. And he's like, I'll tell you, he's like, I've taken out the trash before, if you know what I mean. Like, I couldn't understand his vibe. I'm like, is he 60 and gay? Is he 30 and some kind of nerd that's imitating Groucho Marx? I couldn't figure him out. And that was the joy of Adrian is like, what? And who are you, my friend? But he was making some kind of joke about helping me empty the trash and talking about how he has had to help women before, you know, get rid of the trash in their lives. Yo, know, the the people my friends date, and then he's like, and I've had a few myself. I was like, can you stay on the phone because it just it's it's just now getting dark. It's cocktail hour time, Adrian. Let's keep talking. I I just he was such a joy. And I said, I'm really sorry that this call resulted in me not needing a new computer if in any way you get some kind of sales thing. And he's like, no, 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 it's not how it works. But, you know, I'm always complaining about customer service. I want to give a shout out to where shout outs are due. Adrian at AppleCare, you are a, a mystery and a delight. And so lastly, I don't know if anyone feels this way, but I'm... Annoyed with ayahuasca people. I okay. Everyone in my life who's done ayahuasca, nothing in their life changes. They they keep saying how changed they are. Then they talk about the experience, and all I want to say is, yeah, you. That's what throwing up is. It's it's pretty life affirming, and a lot of stuff comes up. You know, when I throw up, I, everything else about my life comes up in that moment. I'm crying. Oh, why do I live by myself? You know, it's horrifying to throw up. Now I get it that I know what ayahuasca does and I understand what those drugs do. And I understand that they activate a a recessed part of your brain so that you can bring up a trauma memory and kind of have it go through your body. But to me, it's as bullshit as an exorcism or as those like snake healing preachers. You know, people are throwing up and thinking they're working through their trauma. You're throwing up. That's all that's happening. And then your brain is being activated. And so you're, you're processing some trauma but you need cognitive behavior to do that. So this should be combined. And there were some people that were using it really well. and I under- So I understand there's ways to use it. And I'm a big proponent of using LSD in the psychiatric environment for people that want to access trauma. I mean, I don't do it, but I I know that there's um, people who do end-of-life stuff with LSD. I'm like, I'd look into that if, if, when I'm older. But the ayahuasca thing, it's just that the you got to understand the people that are telling me that they're on like, oh, I'm on my ninth trip to Joshua Tree to do ayahuasca. And I'm like, but you're still dating women that are emotionally unavailable. And then you get clingy and then they get clingy and then you bail and you're going to keep making the same mistakes. Oh, okay. Yes. But you still think that you are entitled to a job as an actor, even though you've never acted in anything and you want to change careers. Um, and you keep doing ayahuasca and saying you've had a breakthrough, but you're still this annoying person that calls up people and says, can I have a job? Like, see, these life skills need to be worked on. I don't think the ayahuasca is helping with that. I have no, ne- it's the same, like, they're like, no, then I realized this. I'm like, oh, you realize the thing everyone realized if you just read a fucking philosophy book? I mean, I can't deal anymore. And so there was this series on netflix called unwell there's only uh, i think six episodes and it kind of debunks some wellness things like fasting or beasting. now i'm a big fan of intermittent fasting um you know where you go you eat during an eight hour window and then don't eat for 16 hours i mean i haven't done that in a year but it does work if you're trying to um lose weight or maximize energy or whatever but they they take it to the extreme and show you examples of people who go on these 30-day fasting retreats and like people died well yeah of course But with the ayahuasca, they showed something that I didn't know, which is, you know, when West... This is what I... It's like deep down I knew this in my gut that this this was some white bullshit. So when Westerners go to cultures where shamans use ayahuasca, how it originally is supposed to go is the shaman takes the ayahuasca as part of their culture... To get in their head and then they heal over you. And to Westerners, as they were saying, that's not good enough. They have to drink the ayahuasca themselves. And what the shamans were saying is, Westerners can't really handle this because they don't live the same life we have, you know, and then they just go right back into the world of stress. It doesn't work the way they think it works. And, you know, especially if you have mental health problems, this one guy ended up killing a shaman because he was on antipsychotic meds and it wasn't a good idea for him to be taking ayahuasca. And so it's literally like Westerners coming in and telling them, no, this is how we're going to do it. Like now we're the ones taking the ayahuasca and then killing shamans. I mean, it was so gross. And that's why I just get this overall vibe when people talk about ayahuasca that I just think, what are you doing? But then you go, okay, well, this one woman, she had this disease and it really helped and she got in touch with her trauma. I go, okay, okay. Okay, I get it. I don't not get it. I just don't want to hear about it. You know, I just, uh, I felt very validated, but then I go, oh God, someone's going to go, well, that show actually, well, actually, well, actually, well, actually, I can hear it now. God, it's a real battle being in my brain, isn't it? I can't even have a thought without like thinking about what people are going to say back. All right, let's read some listener emails and then we'll read an article about working from bed. Um, Jen Unsolved mystery This is from a months ago I was talking about weird phenomenons Where you lose a pen Like you're in your living room You drop a pen on the floor You go to pick it up It's gone You never find it again Or you find it eight months later In your bathroom And you're like What the fuck? So somebody said, hi, Jen, I was listening to an old episode where you were talking of Unsolved Mysteries. I thought I'd share one of my own. I'd like to preface this with, I used to work in a really small office building that only had enough offices for about 20 people, and it was a standalone building. I had a deadline fast approaching and didn't think I was going to make it during regular work hours. So I decided I would go into the office for a few hours and try to catch up. When I got to the office, I was the only one there. I proceeded upstairs to my desk, which was in an open space concept. About an hour or so into working, all of a sudden, one of the three banks of lights furthest from me turned off. Then the second bank of lights turned off. And finally, the last bank of lights turned off right above my desk. It was like something straight out of a horror film. I know what everyone's thinking. The lights must have been connected to occupy. Occupancy or motion sensors. However, when the lights were switched out to high efficiency lights They were not compatible with the existing sensors and were never connected to the lights After a few minutes all the lights turned back on like nothing ever happened and I thought great a weird one-time thing kept working About a half hour later. They turned back on they turned off again this time for good That's when I decided it was probably a good time to call it a day I picked up my things and locked up the office I worked in that office for two years after that, and nothing like that ever happened again. Anyway, I just thought I'd share that with you. Cheers, Ashley. I don't like that story at all. That just freaks my deek. Jen, I know you were suggesting we send in stories. A while back, listeners were retelling stories of things that mysteriously disappeared from their homes. A few years ago, I purchased your book, "'I know what I'm doing and other lies I tell myself. "'This is not me trying to advertise my book. "'I read the first chapter and then it just disappeared. "'My boyfriend and I looked high and low for it. "'It was nowhere to be found. "'We were very confused. "'I was like, what the actual fuck happened to this book? "'A year or so later, we bought new bedside tables. "'When I was taking the old table out, "'I heard something drop on the floor "'and lo and behold, it was your book. "'It had somehow gotten wedged "'between the table and the wall. "'Go figure.' Also yesterday, I had to go to the grocery store and I was double masked and I was wearing your I seem fun mask. And a person said to me, you do seem fun. I was like, what? Thinking he was a creep. And he pointed to my mask. I forgot I had it on. And then I said, oh, no, 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 I'm not fun. (laughs) Anyway, thanks for the podcast and the merch. It's truly getting me through the pandy. Pete. Thanks, Pete. Hey, anyone, if you want to buy masks from my merchandise store or sweatshirts or mugs or magnets, I have all kinds of things on them. They say things like respect Generation X, feminist as fuck, um, girls will be girls, women are literally humans, I meditated today, motherfucker, all kinds of fun stuff, over 40, I seem fun, I'm not fun. There's the logo of this show. You can get that on a mug, drink your coffee, look at my face every day. The great thing about my merchandise store is I give 100% of what I earn to food banks across America. In 2020, we donated everything that I earned to get healthcare workers the PPE they need. So I donate on the first of every month and I post receipts everywhere that you can find me on social media. So go shopping. Go to jenkirkman.com and click shop or check out the show notes for this episode in whatever you're listening to it on, and there will be a link right there. Oops, you can hear my email. How unprofesh. Jen, I heard you talking last week. Uh, This is about last week. I talked about how I love talking on the phone. Previously had a phone phobia. She said, Jen, I'm a Gen X lady who has developed a phone phobia. I used to talk on the phone all the time. What's my problem? Sounds like I need to just jump back in like you did. I loved your podcast today, so good. Blessings to you, Tricia. Everyone else, give Tricia advice on how to get back on the phone. I love it. I talked to two friends today. I took a walk around the neighborhood. I did my ten thousand steps. I talked to my friend Morgan and my friend Todd. That's right, Todd Glass from the Todd Glass Show. I'm just skipping some of the longer ones, um, and we'll we'll push those to another episode. So many emails. So many emails. Uh, people really keyed into the grief last week. Jen loved the episode, especially hearing you talk about your personal journey with grief It took me many years to come to terms with grieving because as a guy I was taught to man up and two, not really explained the benefits and healing of grief It was only recently that I accepted that grief is mine and mine alone When my grandparents died, I was sad, but there were no tears or breaking down I missed them and was sad, but past that, it was just a general feeling of nostalgia and thinking of them when appropriate. My grandma, for example, would always carry around a paper towel with her, so whenever I do that, I think of her. When I had to put one of my cats to sleep, I was devastated. I found her at five weeks old and had her for 17 years of my life. I cried. I couldn't sleep. The littlest things like seeing her bowl or noticing that there was more cat food in the bag broke me down for like a month. I was more devastated by a seven-pound little cat than a human being. It took me a while to realize that there was nothing wrong with that. That little cat impacted me daily and was now gone. Grief is such a confusing emotion at times because it's just so fluid and seemingly minute to minute. I appreciate the good intentions people have when they try to comfort, but sometimes it's just not needed. My grief is not going to be like your grief. I know saying, I know how you feel, is the standard but you really don't. The best reaction I ever got was from a friend who sent me a bottle of whiskey and a note that said to your cat, he was lucky to have you and so am I. That's fantastic. What a great friend. This is from John. Thank you, John. Yeah. And and I had a realization that you know when we go into shock when we hear sad news or devastating news and we go into um yeah, I, I guess a state of shock we we tend to think that shock is a placeholder. You know, it's not an emotion. Oh, the real emotions will come later. Shock is an emotion. Shock is such an intense emotion that it's protecting you from feeling everything that you might be about to feel in that moment. Shock is part of it. You know, shock and feeling numb is an emotion. and And it's there because you are in such amazing grief. It's there because you are Overwhelmed. It is. It's part of it. It's not a thing you have to wait for it to end. You know, it is a. It is an emotion. That's that's what I've decided. This is another one about grief. Jen, thanks for your openness about what happened and for the topic of grief. Please don't use my name. I lost the will to my grace after twenty years of friendship, beginning in high school in ninety one. The last few years were very strained due to his substance abuse. Abuse and my belief that I caused it could cure it or could control it He died in 2015 right after I moved to another city with my husband I was married once before and had other boyfriends, but through all of that. My will was number one When he died, I felt like it happened to someone else because I was in a new city I didn't feel it because I couldn't learn a new city and a new job and grieve It was only in 2018 when my now and forever husband's brother died that I felt the loss of my will I feel guilty that my grief took up so much space in our house when my husband lost his brother. My will was my brother and more, so the loss of another brother came for me. Finally, when I began to grieve him, which involved beginning my smoking habit again because we smoked together for years, he showed up. I could write about all the ways he visits me, and I feel like you are the kind of person who would believe me, but I guess I would sum it up to say I still have him, and he helps me manage my grief. I have learned so much about death as a result. I know I'll never get over it. I'll just learn to live with the fact that he's not moving around in the face and the body that I knew. Anyway, that is the strange way that grief shows up for me three years later and returning to help me just like he would have when he lived in his body. I'm pretty much always grieving now even though I enjoy my life and I'm happy. Grief is just there with it all. Oh, these are beautiful emails. And and this is, you know... This is what's so great. You know, I talked about my grief last week and really did not want any advice because as you know, it changes every second and, and no one can say anything to someone they don't know and, and all these details that I didn't, you know, reveal. He would have just annoyed me, but I like this. You know, this is what this is how we help each other, right? People talk about their experiences and you realize, oh, wow, I'm, I'm not so alone or I'm not so different or I am different, but it looks like there's all different kinds of ways. You know, I think... If I can give anyone unsolicited advice, the best way to help other people sometimes is just telling your story. I mean, that's definitely the 12-step model anyway, you know. Um, I have so many more emails to read, but I'm going to just keep uh, saving them for other episodes. Uh, this last one. Hey there, Jen. Um The parts in 371 about kind of liking the slow pace and being sort of sad to see the pandemic recede, totally. Ten months ago, if you told me that I'd be down for just reading alone on a Friday night. And about your insight on the affronted reactionary capital storming men, brilliant. The whole section is spot on, blah, blah, blah. I don't like to read compliments. Before your episode, I have been thinking of the corollary to that. From my perspective as a woman, I spotted the pat. I spotted the pattern as a former teenage girl thinking I was required to let guys push boundaries. Oh, it's a coming of age experience to negotiate rights from holding hands to base one kissing up to as far as to third base as they could possibly go before you can legally complain that it's not an official carnal sin. Have you watched 16 Candles again? It does not hold up. It's super rapey. I've never liked that movie. Um. Thank God that recently young women and guys have at least got codes and language that we did not have about granting consent. Our nation was a 17 year old young woman on a car ride in 1985 with a careless teenage guy. I hope we're smarter now. I wish I could make a full analogy here, but it's fraying. Within the First Amendment, from publicizing lies to violent expressions of protest, there's a parallel, though, about violation. Maybe it's why we refer to nations in the feminine gender. I've never been more frustrated to sort out all that led to what happened. I think it's because it felt so naive and yet predictable. I'm starting to see that comedy writers can speak truth to power in a more incisive way the laws or lawmakers ever can, if people who listen are able to discern. And then Fran Lebowitz, in episode two, about 11 minutes in, nails it about discernment. In the Instagram age, she calls it making distinctions, and that it's a hallmark of the good writer. You really showed heart in episode 371. I just wanted you to know that I really sat with that episode and was touched by it. Sincerely, another woman named Jill. Well, thank you guys. And and again, I will continue to read more of your emails next week. And let's give a shout out right now, though. To the people who subscribe to my Patreon. I, I had to do these in alphabetical order because I'll get confused of who I shouted and who I didn't. But thank you for being Patreon subscribers: Tony Peterson, Tony Scott, Tony Duke, Tony Duke, Tony Duque, Tony Bunkley, Tom Page, Tom McClure, Tom Joseph, TN Gregory, Timothy Meyer, Timothy Lees, Liz or Lee, Tim Jones, Tim Henry, Tim Haddock, Tiffany Miller, Tiffany Calhoun, T. L. Pierce, Thomas Lewis. Thank you all. And let's read the article about working from bed. And please send me an email, I seem fun at gmail.com, about anything, anything you heard on the show today, but specifically uh, if you want to talk about working from bed, is that something you do? Article in the New York Times. Working from bed is actually great, a perfect metaphor for a year. Of Giving Up and Giving In. This is by Taylor Lawrence as a woman. For years, sleep experts have held one piece of common wisdom above all else, that devices have no place in the bedroom. Yet since the pandemic began in March, millions of Americans have defied that guidance and begun working precisely where they sleep. They are drafting legal documents, producing events, holding client calls, coding, emailing, studying, and writing, all from under the covers. This wasn't always the plan. Early on, many of them invested in desks and other equipment meant to make their homes as ergonomically sound and office-like as possible. When New York City shut down in March, Vanessa Anderson, 24, set up a small desk for herself in her living room. She was working for an agency that manages private chefs and wanted to keep some semblance of separation between work and sleep. For a while, I was really committed to not working from my bedroom at all, she said. In May, Miss Anderson moved her desk into her bedroom for more light. My bed was just sitting there taunting me, she said. She set ground rules for herself. She'd only get in bed after 2 p.m., but that start time shifted earlier and earlier. Come July, her bed had become her full-time office. Miss Anderson has since switched jobs. She works in e-commerce for a spice shop now and only works remotely part of the week, but still from bed. Talking to others, she's discovered how commonplace the practice is. I've been on calls with people where we were both in bed, she said. At the end of the call, it's like, how's the pandemic going? Oh, you're in bed right now, too? So am I. Working from bed is a time-honored tradition upheld by some of history's most accomplished figures. Frida Kahlo painted masterpieces from her canopy bed. Winston Churchill, a notorious late riser even during World War II, dictated to typists while breakfasting in bed. Edith Wharton, William Wordsworth, and Marcel Proust Drafted prose and verse from their beds I am a completely horizontal author Truman Capote told the Paris Review in 1957 I can't think unless I'm laying down Along with, I didn't know any of that, that's pretty cool About these time-honored, these history's most accomplished figures I think I did know that about Churchill (laughs) You'd think, you'd You wouldn't be able to sleep late during World War II. Along with fueling creative thinking, the bedroom can be a refuge from the chaos of home life. Parents retreat there to hide from their homebound children. Others are fleeing roommates. I think one of the things we're learning is that we're all in tight places figuratively and literally, especially if you have a roommate or spouse. There just isn't enough real estate in your home to have the privacy to get your work done, said Sam Stevens, 35, a singer and songwriter in Nashville. Working from bed may also be symptomatic of collective malaise. I spend way more time working from bed, even though I have a computer, office chair, and desk, said Abelina Rios, 26, a YouTuber in Los Angeles. I think everybody is feeling depressed from the pandemic. And when you're depressed, one of the harder things to do is get out of bed. Plenty of people, though, are unabashed about their choice to stay in bed all day. I cannot pronounce this name. Palomi Benergy, 26, a fundraiser in Maryland said that she's worked this way since middle school. I was unable to focus unless I was super comfortable, she said. Daniel Peters, 45, a marketer in San Francisco, specifically works on his wife's side of the bed during the day. He posited that working from bed could be an expression of denial. I wonder if we almost subconsciously don't accept this is real life. Does sitting at a table or desk make it feel more like real life? We all felt like this pandemic would only take so long and it's still going on. Who didn't think this was gonna keep going on? Don't get me started. If I sit at my desk all day, does this mean this is how it's going to be full time? Liz Fossiline, 33, and author of No Hard Feelings, a book about how emotions affect work, brings her computer into bed with her every morning, wireless mouse and all. I use my mattress as a mouse pad. Her advice to anyone doing the same these days don't beat yourself up for it. It's easy to be like, ugh, I'm in my pajamas. I haven't washed my hair. What am I doing? But it's really about the quality of your output. A primary argument against using devices in bed is that it can further erode the boundaries between work and home and disrupt your sleep cycle. But even Ariana Huffington, the media executive turned sleep evangelist, has found herself working from bed since the pandemic hit. I think it can work great for people, but it's critical to have certain boundaries, she said. Miss Huffington suggests keeping your nightstand clear of clutter and ensuring that you have a hard stop on work hours where you get out of bed and store your electronics in another room. I highly recommend a real transition, she said. I have a hot shower and bath to wash away the day, change what you're wearing, have a different t-shirt for sleep. I love beautiful lingerie. It makes you feel like, hey, you're going to sleep. Proponents of desk culture have argued that there's no way someone can be productive from bed. I don't know anyone who works actually in a prone position, but I know tons of people who work in bed. My husband, for instance. I think they're all a bunch of lazy, bed-sore-prone, rapidly deteriorating slobs, the writer Susan Orlean told The New Republic in 2013. Or maybe they're much, much happier and smarter than the rest of us. But what many homebound workers are realizing during the pandemic is something chronically ill and disabled people have known for years. That working from bed doesn't mean you're lazy or depressed. In fact, it's perfectly possible to hold down a job remotely from bed, providing your employer is flexible about remote work. We have data showing time crafting is good for happiness. If you're able to work from anywhere and you choose to work from bed, this is one example of time crafting, said Ashley Williams, an assistant professor at Harvard Business School. Picking where to work and how to get work done can improve employee satisfaction. Tessa Miller, 32, the author of the book, What Doesn't Kill You, about her struggles with chronic illness, has been working from bed since she was diagnosed with Crohn's disease at 23. I think that the pandemic is highlighting all these things that chronically ill and disabled people have been doing for a long time, and now everyone is doing them as well, and working from bed is one of them. She said, I know a lot of highly productive, intelligent, talented people who have to work from bed as a necessity. Those with chronic illnesses or disabilities say they hope that as much as the pandemic has made companies more open to remote work, the stigma around working from bed will also be broken. I hope one of the things that come out of this is it reveals you can still do good work from your bed or bathtub or living room sofa with a heating pad, and I hope that will create opportunities for people who are chronically ill or disabled in fields that maybe didn't feel welcome before, Ms. Miller said. Amy Patel, 34, a product manager for a life sciences software company in Austin, was forced to work from bed in the early months of the pandemic when she was placed on bed rest during her pregnancy with twins. She did not love it. However, proper gear helped. My husband bought me a really nice desk that you could put your laptop with a mouse on, and I did everything on there. And then it just goes into being like, you can buy this, you can buy that, you can buy this. Uh, so then it ends with abby Sidell, 27 a filmmaker in new york often works from bed because of his chronic illness But he has found it helpful even when he's not having a flare-up I think that being horizontal is conductive creative to creative thinking when we're horizontal Whether it's sleeping or dreaming is when we're doing a lot of subconscious or unconscious creative work If mr Seidel is stuck on a project or needs to think he'll go lie down Being in bed is great. He said I wish in general There were fewer norms and standards around where it is and isn't acceptable to work and if this year doesn't shatter them, what will So there you go, hope you enjoy that article I actually really enjoyed it, I feel like Damn, why aren't I working in bed I do sometimes, I I will get up sometimes Really early in the morning, make coffee Bring it back to bed, you know, it's like 6.30 or 7 And bring my little portable desk bed And I'll sit up and do stuff And it, it's like a nice way to transition into my day So, but I don't sit in bed all day and work I think that would make me, I don't know I'd feel a little cramped, but God, I'm yawning. I'm boring myself. All right. Send me an email about anything. Please do uh, consider joining my Patreon or whatever the fuck. If you have anxiety, send me an email um, at anxietybitesweekly at gmail.com and just write anxiety help in the subject heading. And I will send you a 52-page PDF that I wrote with tons of helpful hints. And most of them are free that you can do for anxiety or to figure out if you even have it or just a ton of resources. And um I think that's it. I think that's all for now. Until next week, have fun.